0: over it all of it
1: we are in the orange
0: okay anyone have any last words because this is probably the last time we're going to do this phil do what this podcast i'm fucking burning it down today
2: <laughs> oh Oh no. okay last words um it was okay it lasted a lot longer than i thought it would <laughs> but this is fifth episode yeah
1: yeah the fifth plus
2: yeah 4.5 all right pretty good I just have to check my train schedules to make sure I get home in time. Get home to mommy. Was was that Chris who said that? No, it was not. No, that was
0: me, bitch. Oh. I'm just trying to get psyched up. <laughs> and this will go until like 5.15, right? No, well, I'll be done with you guys long before that.
1: We don't have that much material.
0: First of all. I have
1: zero filter on what comes out of my mouth.
0: Second of all.
1: Hey guy's talking about my mom. Well that what you do. You're Our RS is in a jackpot. We don't do something there. I'm just telling you that. This is the Code
0: Violation podcast. Hey, welcome back to Code Violation. This is a special Croc Talk edition with my two friends Matt and Phil. Croc Talk. <laughs> Hi everyone. How y'all doing? Obviously fantastic. You know, we've
2: gotten so many requests for this to be a Novak. Novak podcast, which we have Novak Novak Novak, um, which we've which we've been violently opposed to because this is not a Novak podcast. Just because two of us are fans, and also because that's boring and overly one sided. But he, I guess, he is the sort of topic of the day. So, unfortunately, I guess he'll be a lot of it, right? Maybe
0: not for me. I'm not really planning on saying very much today. I'm I'm not really that thrilled to be here. Uh, why don't you say what you want to say, Matt?
1: Matt is angry as of late, so we're we're gonna ask him why later.
0: We know why. It's the roof. I swear to God. Do you want to get into that now? Well, I'm gonna note. What, well, why don't we one at a time? God damn it! What are these?
2: Why don't we ask Matt Corey how he feels about the roof situation? Um, how that did or did not impact the semifinal, and whether or whether or not uh, Novak's Wimbledon victory even counts. Good.
0: Okay, you want me to just jump right in on that then? I do. If you believe that the roof (laughs) played a part in Rafa's loss to Novak in that semi, I've already tried to, to distance myself from all of those people. It got me so triggered that... People really thought that's why he lost the match. As if after five hours of play, the roof suddenly imposed its will on Rafa. On day two of their contest, in his last service game, the roof finally decided to kick Rafa's ass to where he couldn't even win a point. Would the result have been different if the roof had been open from the beginning? I don't know, and neither do you and neither do you, and neither do any of you fools on Twitter. What else? What else do you want to ask me?
1: That's our listeners, by the way. Fools. Fools on Twitter.
0: Right. I'm a fool on Twitter.
1: Right. That's true.
0: I think the argument is that
2: if it was so close in conditions that were disadvantageous to him, then it wouldn't have been even a close match to begin with. But I have no prerogative to defend them. I think they're ridiculous as well. So I'm I'm done with the
0: roof. Good. I'm done with the roof too. It's a hideous argument because at that point you would have to believe that <laughs> basically in a dead even match up until that last game, after 5 hours a completely dead even match that just on the points that Rafa lost the roof was in play and on the points that he won he was overcoming the roof. Does that make any sense? Yeah,
1: I think that's right. That's right. He almost did it. He almost overcame the tremendous disadvantage that the roof was, um, you know, on every like you said on every point that he won, like he had to had to toss the ball up and see a roof and not the sky. And oh my no. god, <laughs> that, I can't even imagine. That was troubling.
0: So you know, I mean, he's he had, he's got a lot to deal with. We're all professionals at something, and when you're a professional and you get paid to do something, there's a chance that when you're working you're not going to have your ideal set of conditions to do your job. That doesn't mean that you're not able to do a great job. It just means that maybe you're not as comfortable. And that's the end of it, as far as I'm concerned. Would he have preferred to play with the roof open? Sure, but he also doesn't like it when the wind's blowing.
1: And you know when the wind was blowing? In the famous, no, not infamous. There's, you know, I meant more famous than famous, but whatever. Uh, the 2008 Wimbledon final, it was very windy, especially over the first two sets, which, if you'll recall, were won by one Rafael Nadal. So
0: Good for him.
2: I don't know. There are people who say that that's the reason Rafa didn't win it in four. But he won
1: the first two sets
2: in the wind. Yeah.
0: Listen, he's my favorite player of all time, and I've had a few because I'm old and I'm grumpy. He is my favorite player, but I, I will not. I was trying to say something really profound and I it flew out of my head. I'm not going to make excuses and the fan shouldn't make excuses. He's certainly not making excuses. Just not. take the loss.
2: Right. He's fishing. What else? Your agitation brings me to something that I, that I thought I'd bring up. So I joined Twitter tennis, Twitter right around Wimbledon of 2016. You know, it was dark times for, for we Novak fans. And there were so many instances where I was uh, getting into fights with people on Twitter, now, namely Avnish, but, you know, lots of other people as well. And I would hear so many times, like, ugh, like, we need Novak to come back so Phil won't be such a grumpy asshole. And like, I feel most vindicated that he's now won Wimbledon and it's quite apparent that I'm no different. So I can really distance or... You know, separate my pleasure and joy from my favorite bat and ball player winning Wimbledon, and and still being an asshole on Twitter. If if you're talking membo jembo, and you deserve it. Oh, good for you! In your face, Avnish! Again. <laughs> wow, this is this is this
1: is a really angry this is episode. Amazing. Here, here it is. Right, we as. As, as Djokovic, Djokovic fans.
0: I see we're still just going to continually butcher his name.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, Djokovic. Novak Djokovic. Anyway, forget the pronunciation nonsense for the moment, but th- this is our jubilation. We've been waiting two years for, for the man to get back into this kind of form. And so we're, we're celebrating it by making our angriest episode so far. That,
2: that seems about right, really. Now that he's such an accomplished grass court player, you know, it really reopens the goat debate, uh, and now we got to be stressed and miserable all the uh, time it again. It's
1: not. I don't care. No, no goat debates. It was see if the roof hadn't got in the way, then it was really gonna it was gonna blow that
2: roof off of the goat debate. That's true. Rafa almost blew the roof off the goat debate, but he didn't.
0: I think that's part of the reason I'm grumpy too. For being honest,
2: you you wanted eighteen.
0: Yeah, of course.
2: I can't believe as a friend of your two big Novak fan code violation co-hosts That you were really rooting for Nadal I thought deep down like you wouldn't admit it But you really wanted Novak to win I'm I'm disappointed
0: I wasn't rooting for Anderson Well that doesn't mean much to me I'm not going to openly root against my favorite player But I didn't root against Novak You could Oh my god some, how am I going to edit that out? Stuff going on.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. That, that's an ambulance <laughs> passing me. Looks like someone died. Hopefully it's not Nadal. It sounds like you're on the street. Well, I live on 3rd Avenue in New York. This is white noise to me. Man, we, we killed
1: that roof. Uh, okay, I, I did want to say something about Raffole 52, which, with, which Matt said he wasn't going to say. The reason we're asking Matt more questions is because the way he's behaving on this episode is more like we're the person we're used to. So we wanted our listeners to get a better understanding.
0: Is that what we're doing? That is what we're doing.
2: That's what I'm trying to do.
0: You're usually the
2: cordial, neutral host, (laughs) but you've been so cranky and irritable lately. We want our viewers to hear who you really are. Not, oh, the nice dinner host, bassoon voice, sexy man. No, he's kind of a dick sometimes. Let it out. It's still sexy. Well, yeah.
0: I thought it was Raffle. No, <laughs> you are such a knob. No, you didn't. I swear to God, I did. I thought it was Raffle. Well, that wouldn't
1: make any <laughs> sense. Raffle,
0: not Raffole. Because it's Nole. I thought it was Nol. <laughs> Noel. Is it Nole fam too? Yes. Seriously? Yes. Oh my God! I swear to you, I thought it was Nol fam. But you said it, so good. <laughs> yeah, say it again. <laughs> I didn't even say it right. <laughs> Properly. Nole fam? Yes. Nole fam. There you go. Wow, that's even worse than I thought.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. it's. I don't like that word.
1: Nole. See, the French could do
0: it. What's the other one with Federer and Nadal? Is that Fedal?
2: No, it's Fetal. Fedal. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. I so said, I'm in the fetal position. Roger generally is in a fetal position after he plays Rafa on clay. Burn. Boom. All right, All right quickly.
1: Go on. Um, I wanted to do... So the impressions of this, of, of Rafa this is a, a confession as someone who seems to be usually pessimistic about his favorite player. I didn't think this match was going to be very close. And I didn't think that it was not going to be very close because Nadal was going to win easily. No, I was thinking, well... Novak is playing well. It's on grass. You know, Nadal doing whatever, but I, I think the matchup favors favors uh, Djokovic, and I figured he was going to win in four sets. I thought that most of the match would look like the first set and that, you know, he Novak would probably screw up at some point and, and give a set away, as he tends to do, but that it would be more like the 2014 to sort of 16 part of their matchup and um that's that's what I was thinking. So I was actually very very impressed with Nadal and very scared and I that's why I put this this tweet out I think yesterday saying I I still can't believe that Djokovic won Wimbledon because Nadal did play that well and I I don't know how he won that match.
2: I was just going to say I thought Nadal played a little bit better. I don't know if that's meaningful when it's such a close match um and also that might be driven by emotions where you know the opponent is more frightening and yeah. you're more focused on the, the weaknesses of the guy you're rooting for. But Nadal was just unbelievably good that now I'm concerned he's going to win the US Open. He looks that good to me.
1: Hmm.
0: Novak played better on the, the meaningful points, in particular in the fifth set from around 4-4 or 5-5 going to the end of that match. I don't recall Novak even missing a shot, really. It was pretty insane the level that he was at. So if Rafa played better for much of that match, I would buy that. But certainly towards the end, I didn't have a lot of faith that he was going to come through it. It just seemed it seemed like Novak was playing too well.
1: Well, rewatching it, Mm -hmm. it it was it was more even than I I thought live. I thought the Djokovic serve was the difference. It was a little better,
2: and that was I think they match that close. That was about it in um like the last 11 break points he played um stretching back from the final through the semifinals he made his first serve um which you have to think is the difference yeah. in him winning the tournament versus losing in the semifinal 11 for 11 that's that's incredible on break point
0: yeah that is some of
2: which were set points against anderson and virtual match points against nadal
1: virtual yeah cuz nadal was serving um, second, so he never had any any actual match points.
0: He didn't have match
1: points, no. right.
0: I have to admit, that played a role in my feeling about that match, too, is that he was always serving to stay in the match as opposed to getting the opportunity to break and then serve it out. I imagine as a player, it weighs on you, too. But as a spectator, you just always feel like you're behind.
1: You would think. I mean, statistically, it's no different, but... Apparently, it's it's about the same, but it
2: feels scarier. I think it was Anna who said recently, like it's. I, I find it difficult to believe that it's not an advantage, and it is an interesting question. If even if the uh, statistics show that they're about even, it's it, it's hard to imagine that it's not more difficult to play from behind. It, it, it feels like it. Uh, I keep wanting to bring up baseball and remembering I can't because Hayden will get mad. <laughs> But doesn't it feel almost like batting in the top of the ninth versus the bottom of the ninth.
0: It does. And I think probably why the statistics are even on it too is because there is a similar pressure on the person serving first as well. Because if you get down right on your first point, then it already feels like the matches could be heading to a, a conclusion. So it's very important to like stay ahead in your service game right out of the gate or else the other person's getting fired up and starting to believe that they can break you. And so I guess that's how it it evens out because there's still a a good amount of pressure on the server. Yeah,
1: and that that is what happened in the Anderson-Federer match is that I think when, when Anderson finally broke, Federer missed, like he lost that first point. And then he, I think he double faulted within two points of that, like the pressure mounted immediately. So that does seem to play out.
0: I'm feeling less angry. So if you want to get it back on track, now would be a good time.
1: So then I should ask you, because we don't have a segment, I, I should ask you, um, I added this as a joke, but if we're, if we're trying to get you angry, there was a, st- a statistic um, that our uh, our code violation mastoc- mascot, um, Alona Ostapenko, a champion, somehow went th- went through Wimbledon, uh, um going two for nineteen on challenges oh which is
0: <laughs> that's right
1: that's a pretty amazing statistic is it is it not
0: do you think she uses the challenge system as like a way to get a little bit of a break from all that bashing
1: I think she said it was something it was like an emotional release or, or something like if you're mad you challenge
0: it has to be something besides actually thinking the call was wrong
2: Uh, yeah i think it absolutely is i think um players challenge out of frustration when they know that there's a remote to no chance of winning the challenge and it's not even to buy themselves some time to regroup um which is frustrating because it makes your challenge acumen a significant part of your ability to win which kind of sucks, you know, it's challenging, but remembering that dismal Wimbledon from two years ago when Novak lost to, um, what's that asshole's name? Query. (laughs) He... Gratuitous slag of Query. (laughs) uh, He's just such a stupid looking dick. But if you remember the game that ultimately cost him the match, um, Novak hit a bunch of I, I forget if the balls were in that were called out or mm-hmm. so, somehow the calls were wrong, but he had just really angrily and petulantly wasted his challenges earlier in the set and he had run out and you know, that changed the complexion of the match. So I, I hate when players do it. They have no one to blame but themselves, but it's still, I don't, I don't like that. It actually changes the outcome of mat- matches at times for us I don't, I don't think it matters. I think she's just being a good sport and, trying to give her opponent um, an even playing field to match her skill. It's a, a break from
1: that barrage. Right. I, I actually was making this argument about challenges because, and this is as close as we're getting to Hawkeye on clay, but because there isn't Hawkeye on clay, um, you can ask the umpire to look at the mark whenever you want, right? There's no like, oh, well, you asked him two times before and you were wrong and so one more time and you can't get anybody to look at the mark anymore no because the the mark is there so i've sort of said like the the challenge system the way that it exists now it's yeah there's there's like a gameplay aspect to it so i said well why not just have unlimited challenges the idea is what that people would challenge everything but i don't I don't think that's really true.
0: Alona would. Yeah, well,
2: she maybe she would. <laughs> My initial reaction was what you mentioned, that players would just challenge too much. But I, I think you're right that that wouldn't really happen. And also, if you um, change the system such that players can challenge as much as they want, you don't have to do this long, drawn-out, dramatic Hawkeye, which I don't even like as it is. Like Hawkeye doesn't need to be this thrilling movie just just show the result
0: yeah enough with the heartbeat thumping and all that just show it
2: right isn't it kind of silly yeah like it, well yeah it's just adding in drama right but drama is is a good thing this is a silly stupid artificial drama yeah
0: that it's disgusting it is disgusting this seems like as good a time as any to congratulate uh, Angelique Kerber on winning her first yes. Wimbledon Angelique Kerber You are a champion, and we salute you. I'm standing.
1: You say you have nothing planned, and then you just throw this,
2: throwing national anthems at us. And and this is really deferential to Angelique, because I fully expected the Latvian national anthem to be played. Actually, that's true. (laughs) He must really be happy for her. But yeah, that, that's great. After after that great 2016 and then last year's kind of meltdown, it's, it's good to see her back on top. I wish it wasn't at the expense of Serena, but looks like she'll be competing in a lot more majors anyway.
1: I'm trying to process this because Serena's story, well, everybody knows basically Serena's story that she had to have a surgery after she gave birth. She apparently almost died it wasn't that long ago, like, she had all kinds of complications. So for even, her to even get back on the tennis court was, like, quite an accomplishment. And when she came back initially, she didn't look very good. She wasn't moving very well. So she goes into Wimbledon. She's the second favorite behind Kvitova, who promptly loses in the first round, and then becomes the favorite. And, you know, I'm thinking all along, I'm just like, there's just no possible way. Like, she's just... How can she do this? And she almost did. So uh, I don't know. For me, it's mind blowing. It's actually for me that that Serena got to the final is more mind blowing than than what Djokovic did because it, he wasn't having any real physical limitations at that point. He just needed to manage the draw and get there. Um, but for Serena,
2: like I don't know, how does anyone do that? Yeah, it's it's incomparable. I mean, Djokovic was coming back from an elbow injury and. Some mental woes, but he was playing himself into form. He already looked great on grass. Serena, I, I mean, she she hasn't even been able to lose all the all the pregnancy weight, right? Like like she's not even in her natural playing form, and she made a slam final. So I think it's incomparable, not just to Djokovic, but to
0: so like any athlete,
2: upper echelon of achievements in in tennis, yeah. I, that's what I said I just
1: didn't think she could do it because I'm just like I don't you know it's too difficult too soon but it, it, it almost wasn't
0: it almost wasn't and she made it look easy getting to that final too She I think she dropped one set just for the record that was the Latvian anthem that I played for Angelique it was? yeah and I
1: guess what I was thinking is no he wouldn't do that again but he did
0: oh yeah <laughs> you're damn right I'll do it again I'll do it anytime we talk WTA Unless Serena wins. Congratulations, Serena. We love you anyway.
2: I think you guys have been waiting since episode one to, to throw that out there. There's so little to enjoy about American tennis that it ha- actually hadn't occurred to me, especially with Serena being out. Although I like I like Madison Keys, and I, I guess I like Sloane now. It took me a long time to come around on Sloane, and I don't really love her game too much, men is there a more likable player on that tour I, I don't know
0: the only one that really competes is another American even though she disavows us and that's uh, Osaka
2: yeah in a totally different way she's got that like disarming shyness right yeah she actually reminded me that it's amazing how good these players are at giving um, finalist and victory speeches. Because it's not an easy, it's still public speaking. It's not easy to do. And, you know, some are better than others, but they're all pretty competent. I'm surprised that more don't freeze up like Naomi did at the Miami Open.
0: It is impressive that they're able to to pull it together and say anything that's even remotely eloquent. And they almost always do.
2: Yeah. Well, not Federer, but the rest of them, I agree. Not Federer. I'm just still trying to be salty towards Federer. He's, he's magnificent at it also. In, in fact, so much so that when I watch the um, 2014 and 2015 Wimbledon finals, it the, the runner-up speeches actually make me like him, and, and that frustrates me a little bit.
0: I don't know. As of late, he seems to be pretty forthcoming about strategy and things like that, and I, I always find him interesting to listen to.
1: Yeah, he's certainly interesting. I find him interesting to listen to
2: when he's talking about tennis. Otherwise, no. Talking about tennis, something that he's— as good as anyone at it's obviously pretty interesting to hear him talk. But who cares about him? Yeah, He's no longer Wimbledon champion. Novak stole his pineapple. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I was watching the final with my good friend Joshua, and during the trophy presentation, we were talking about the pineapple on top, and we we couldn't even find the research. Is it a pineapple or just strongly resembles one?
1: It's some all I've heard. Oh, and this is tennis Twitter. Oh, it's a pineapple and it has something to do with some sort of empire thing, right? So like conquering the land of the pineapple or something. I, I don't know, but I don't have a good story for it.
2: You know, everything we complain about Wimbledon, that just adds to its legacy of douchiness. Oh, absolutely. They, they put something on the trophy celebrating their conquering of a foreign land. I also think a pineapple is just a bit goofy for such a regal trophy. It's my least favorite. Are we done
1: with cra- with grass? Have we chewed our last blade? I think we really have one more thing that we wanted to talk about, this prize money stuff. The US Open this year is increasing its prize money. Its total contribution, as they put it, is up to $53 million. So the, the total money given out for the tournament is $53 million. Um, but if you look at how this money is distri- distributed, it's rather weighted towards the, the winner. Uh, and so probably why this got talked about a lot was a, a tweet from, well, there, there were a few players talking, ex-players and players talking about it, but there was a tweet from Andy Roddick. Roddick writes, so if you make a final, you'd make more to win that one match than you'd make for winning six over the course of two weeks. Anyways, I guess it grabs a headline when you announce 3.8 million to the winner. I'm sure that's not the goal, though, smiley face. Right. So Roddick does that, and then people are talking about this and what's the best way to distribute prize money and you know, all all yadda yada yada, all that sort of thing. So that's sort of the the context for this. And I know that Phil and Matt were having a discussion on this together, so I don't know if they,
2: they want to continue that here, but I'm gonna give them the opportunity. Well, I wouldn't categorize it as as a discussion as much as me getting yelled at, but um Yeah, since Matt was a lot more uh, opinionated on the issue, why why don't you start, Matt? And take it easy.
0: I kind of need your socialist points on this, though, to really get fired up.
2: Okay. My socialist points on this are that... So I'm glad the total purse is going up. That means that the tournament's doing well, and at, at least they're giving you know parts of those increased revenues to the players. That's obviously a good thing. I think that the prize money should be much more evenly distributed for, uh, I guess, um, practical reasons as well as theoretical ones. Um, I, I, I don't think you deserve, so to speak, to win that much more if you're the champion than a quarter finalist. Um, but that's less important to me than the fact that, um, there's so few tennis players that can make a living wage on the pro tour. Um, well, I, I forget the number, but it's like you need to be in the top 125 to really have a profitable lifestyle. And so it just makes sense to start funneling the money down from the top, first from the top of the slams to the bottom rounds, and then you know from there to the extent possible, I realize it's complicated, but into the lower tournaments, because then that stops the process of pricing out um, players who aren't as good. And, you know, to me, that creates a rising tide. It, it wouldn't create some dynamic whereby um, the top players would be less motivated to try to win, you know, kind of these arguments against socialist concepts, especially because the top players don't even make their money from encore earnings. So I don't really see any good reason. Well, I don't see many good reasons to have it so top-heavy. Go ahead and rant.
0: My only real issue with that is that it doesn't matter what the athletes make off the court in terms of their brand and endorsements, because if if you open that rabbit hole, then suddenly a guy like LeBron James could be expected to play for less money because he was smart about his business and made money in Beats headphones and made money in Nike and all of the other things that he does kia so why why shouldn't he just play for a million a year and have it be that competitive drive and just the reward of winning championships so we can pay these other mugs around him that part of the argument doesn't add up to me you'd mentioned that the top 125 players are the ones that seem to do well financially or if that. If, if that but if we're using that number There's 128 in the draw, right? So, it's not really helping the people that need that money anyway.
1: That's a good point. Um, One of the issues I was trying, what I was trying to find out, I was doing a little bit of research. I found a Forbes article from 2015 talking about total revenue for for the U.S. Open. The the U.S. Open is apparently the biggest sporting event in the world. Is that right? Yeah total amount of people coming through total like all of this because it's so it takes place over such a long time and it's in new york and they have such tremendous capacity for all that thing so yeah it's actually like it's it's a gigantic sporting event so the money that they make it's in great excess of that prize money that they give out which is fine of course you know like you've got a there are many other things that they need to pay for. It goes into tennis foundations, all kinds of things. But it's always a little bit uncertain of how much of this money is going to the players to begin with, what exactly they're doing with it, how much money gets taken in. Um, and the, the main issue that comes with the slams, because this is what we've been talking about in this particular episode, they have no affiliation with the players. So the players have their sort of organizations, the ATP and the WTA, Um. Who, with their individual tournaments, they have some sort of say in who plays, what the money is. With with the slams, they have no say whatsoever. And so, when Djokovic was was uh, making his union thing in in Australia, that was one of the things that it seemed to be. People were like, "Why are you asking for more money? Look at you get." Well, here you are getting three point eight million if you win the U.S. Open, and he's like, "Well, no, that's we don't know how much money the slams are actually making, and we think that they could." put more towards the players that could, you know, do some of these other things. So it's a mess
2: really. Yeah. I I don't think there's any doubt that the slams and the tournaments are greedy for lack of a better word. I I think they pocket most of the money. And yeah, I, I mean, I'm always surprised that the purses are so big, but you're right. When you think about it, it's, it's a two week event in New York. It's the biggest tennis stadium in the world. The money they make off of those honey deuces alone probably pays the winner's check. But but yeah, I mean, I, I guess to the comparison about other sports, I think it's different because LeBron and all his competitors, they negotiate a contract with teams. And so that's fine. If, if that dynamic were in mm. tennis, then that would be fine because somehow it would work itself out. But that's not how it works. The tournament just takes in X dollars of revenue, They say, we're going to give this much to the players, and then we say, we're going to give this much to the winner, and so on and so forth. And so, I I mean, to take it to a further extreme, I mean, what if they gave the winner uh, $10 million this year, and the round one loser uh, $500? Would you be okay with that? I mean, I think everyone just has their own point of where they think it's nicely balanced, and I just think it's well top-heavy of my personal point
0: it would be interesting and, and it probably will be interesting in coming years when there isn't such a stranglehold on the slam winners being the same four guys really because that money is probably a much bigger motivator for someone like jack sock for example because i'm sure he does well but that money a four million dollar paycheck would be be life-changing probably in terms of his career and what he could use for coaching and physio and all the entourage that he probably would like to have travel with him
2: uh, Nah, i disagree
0: you don't think so well it's not comparing four million dollars to zero dollars right it's
2: comparing four million to say two and a half so one the difference is only one and a half million that we're thinking about and then also you know, winning the U.S. Open, the financial implications of that aren't just your winners' checks. That's when this—that's when the endorsements start rolling in, or the existing endorsements become much higher because you're a champion, even if you're Jack Sock, and you're going to have visibility. People want to see you, and you're just going to get paid a lot more. Um, so no, I, I don't think it's—I don't think whatever that difference would be would be life changing unless it was one really random champion who never won any... Like, if Tennis Sandgren won the Australian Open, and let's forget all the other problems with that happening.
0: But he's an actual challenger player. Yeah, some someone of his ilk. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, Sock made a million winning the Paris Masters. Yeah, roughly. no, he's rich. Sloan Stevens last year, though, that was the thing. It's like, usually... They bring out the giant novelty check, and players are just like, you know, whatever. And then Sloane, though, she was like, "Damn, did you see how much that?" Like, she was. Go- it, it was almost a meme. I oh think. yeah, like her like looking at the check is like,
2: "What is this money?" Yeah, that that was part of the likability <laughs> aspect that she didn't try to be coy about it because it's everyone knows you make a ton of money. Well, she probably just doubled her net worth. <laughs> no, S- Sloane had a lot of success in the past, right? Not, yeah, not like still, that.
0: Like, she would
1: have made. It would have been three million. I think it was over three million
2: that she would have made. No, I that. agree that she doubled her encore earnings net worth, but not her net worth. Mm. And, and and Matt, Corey, to, to your point about how it can be life changing. Yeah, true. Even the million dollar differential could be life changing in terms of what you can do with that. But is it as life changing as what that million could do distributed to the lower ranked players?
0: Do you think it would make the level of tennis uniformly higher across the board if there was a more equitable distribution of that money? Yes. Do you think the the level would would come up?
2: Yes. Theoretically, I think that's the direction it would move it. And so, yes, maybe marginally, but yeah, I think it would, especially if we pour, if we poured more money into the five hundreds and the and the two fifties. Mm. Sloane Stevens, by the way, I, I just pulled it up. She's made. Um, Eleven point three million. So obviously, she just made the final of the French Open, so that was a lot of money there. But it seems like before the U.S. Open, she's had made about um, six to seven million. So she was she was pretty loaded, and presumably won enough to get great endorsements. So uh,
1: yeah, I shortchanged her a little bit there, but that's still like fifty percent of her career earnings that she added on yes. in one tournament.
0: She is making a a great living. I mean, there's no no way to get around that. But it's not the kind of money where she could, if she got injured, it's not like she could live off that money forever. So it's, I mean, as evidenced by her reaction to the big check, the prize money has to be a huge motivator.
2: But, but I mean, think about just even when you have the two finalists. When, once you make the final, you, you think that's a motivating factor? You think there's a player who would try less hard if there was more equi- equitable
0: distribution?
2: No, probably not. It's
0: a motivation in your training, not during the tournament, but I think it's a motivator just in terms of your career to try and to try and win one of those. You set yourself up pretty well for a long time.
1: Yeah, and to know that from there, your career, you know, there you will have things you can hire. Say you were like, well, I really need like
0: a full-time barber because I'm New <laughs> And now I can do it. I don't have a lot of very clearly crystallized feelings about this because I, you know, I was ranting, uh, the other night, but (laughs) when you articulate the argument, like, yeah, I get it. It makes sense. But I mean, a tournament is generally loaded to make the winner win at least double of the person they beat any tournament. If you look at like the, I mean, I don't, I guess it's not technically a tournament, but the Kentucky Derby, the winner gets a ton of money. And the other horses do get some money, but it's nothing like what the winner gets. If you look at golf tournaments, they're kind of they're kind of structured the same way as tennis, but with not as much money. Hmm. But it's still a big amount more to the winner, even if they just win by a stroke. You know, it's one putt, really, but it's a huge amount of money. It's just kind of the way tournaments work. Even that stupid ass um, World Series of Poker, the winner got eight million. And the person that he beat in the heads up table there at the end, the final, won five million. So it was just one hand, three million dollar swing. So Yeah, I,
2: I can't really comment on the equitable distribution of the World Series of Poker. So I'll I'll defer to
0: you on that. We could be developing a lot of young poker players, Phil.
2: Yeah. I, I think I remember seeing like when Roger Federer won the two thousand four Australian Open, he won about a million dollars. So it it's not like you know this has been an explosion in the past. Like Djokovic almost has as much prize money as Federer, which is ridiculous considering how much less he's won. He had more for until right this. until yeah, he, ha- he at one point had the most, so it's been an exponential rise. So, I mean, I think to suggest that uh, yeah, the big prize money is a motivator, but what in the last 10 15 years and before then it wasn't. Anyway, I I accept your position. Well, no, I reject your position, but I accept that you have it, and I th- I think I've said my piece. Oh,
0: good for you!
2: I need to go pretty soon. Anything else we need to discuss?
0: Uh, no.
1: No, I I think that was good. I think this is an interesting angle because I do think that there's there is some momentum with the players towards greater unionization, and so this is right this is going to be a topic that will come up more so i don't know i I think it's interesting to to not even debate because we don't know enough about it to debate it properly but to look into it
0: well i hope they get their act together with the scheduling yes
1: oh my god
2: the world cup of davis laver ooh laver slam everyone excited for fedole doubles Diego's plan. If I were Roger
1: Federer, I would not agree to play ten, to play doubles with that hack.
2: I think they have to. So it's it's going to be very interesting. Well, oh, I'm sure they have to. Do you remember the performance where, you know, the Team Europe team was sitting in their room and they were they were pretending to like think out who the team was and and Bjorn Borg would like stroke his chin and be like, "Okay, in the next round I'm thinking Oh, right, oh right. Right. yeah. Roger and Rafa. And then Roger with a straight face is like, yeah, oh, okay, Bjorn, if, if that's what you think, okay. So I can't wait for that with him and oh. Novak. Novak will in some way be hilarious about it. So I'm looking forward to it. This is clearly the best double choice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it would be great if Roger was just like, Bjorn, are you kidding me? Have you seen him play doubles? He's incompetent.
1: That's going to break Twitter. I hope it happens. Yeah, know. it already broke Twitter when it
2: was announced, so it's just going to...
0: That's definitely being played indoors, right? Yes. All right, well, Phil's got to get to dinner.
2: I do. Yes.
0: Um,
1: Out to Pine Barrens. Before we go, where is the profuse congratulations?
0: Oh, man, I meant to do that. Sorry. Congratulations to both of you on... Djokovic's Wimbledon victory.
2: We had a lot to do with it. I feel we earned it.
0: You earned it. Yeah. You de- And most importantly, you deserved it.
2: Yes. Oh, that reminds me. I get to troll my fucking Fed fan father tonight. <laughs> That's going to be awesome. So I'm going to dinner with my uncle, who's this Trump-supporting maniac. So, you know, all my attention has been focused to giving him shit. But I do have to reserve a little bit, bit of shit for my dad, who's been Prodding me for the past 18 months. Hey, who's that old man who you said wasn't gonna win any more slams? Yeah, fuck you, Dad. It's coming tonight. Oh, it's Lord. coming home. It's coming home. <laughs>
0: We'll probably talk to Matt uh, the next time when he's in France, yeah? Je serai en France. Allez. All right, I gotta go. Bye, guys. Cheers. Is Allez French? Huh? What? Allez? Is that French? Allez, yes. Okay, good. I was nervous for a second. I was like thinking it was French and it was in a different language. No,
1: you got it. You got it.